Dave, the summer of Fire Island continues. Uh, If you have not yet watched it on Hulu, my God, what are you waiting for? It is so charming and funny and sexy and just wonderful in a million different ways. It really is. Uh, And uh, if you haven't heard, we had Joel Kim Booster on a while back, who, of course, uh, wrote it and Mm -hmm. stars in it. Mm -hmm. And he is, um, you know, just one of our favorite baby angels of all time. And Bowen Yang is in it, and Margaret Cho, and I, the list goes on and on. Yeah, it's it's just fantastic. Uh, it's it's so great, and and a, a huge part of its success is a guy who you know from way back, uh, from him having uh, played a, a massive part in uh, Heather's the series, a guy named James Scully. Yes, James Scully is such an excellent actor, and. Uh, I don't know. I, I don't have any right to feel proud of him, but I do feel proud of him. Uh, after after oh, working with him way back when, we get into the whole Heather's experience, which is it's fun. I haven't really like unpacked it with somebody from the cast quite like this. Yeah. Um, yeah. And he's just so much fun. Uh, and we had a blast talking to him. And obviously, if you haven't seen Fire Island, run, don't walk. I don't know what the hell you're waiting for. Get Hulu and watch it. Uh, James Scully, folks. Hello. Hello. So nice to see you. So nice to see you. You got married recently? Yeah? I did. Oh, I yes. did. I, I mean, the, thank you so much. The I feel bad. Of, I have talked. The listeners are groaning right now because I've talked about it incessantly. Um it, my whole personality has been, first it was I'm getting married, now it's I just got married, and I've just been beating that dead horse. You know what? That's where you are in your life, and if the listeners can't handle it, they should just keep yeah. listening, because eventually you'll stop that's talking right. about it. That's <laughs> right. Tell yeah. them to leave, yeah. but that's But not they today. Do, yeah. yeah. Listener, if you're, do the internal work if you're tired of talking, which, by the way, nobody is. It's still great. I don't great. know about that. Thank it's you. still Great. James, where where are you in this beautiful shirt? Stop it, you. I'm in New York. I'm in um, uh-huh. I'm in Hudson Yards, the cultural epicenter of New York City. <laughs> Fantastic. The vessel is somewhere nearby. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. A lovely mall. One of one of New York's better malls. Yeah. Although I'm like, who is who is like buying like Fendi at a mall in Hudson Yards. I'm like, what is the target? It's it's not me, I guess. You know what I mean? When I see those like mainstay designer stores in like a mall, I'm like, who, who's shopping here? Because they always seem empty. But yeah, yeah. There's that fabulous Spanish uh, market and restaurant in the basement. I ate there for the first time recently, and yeah, I have pretty high standards on Mexican food coming from okay. San Antonio, Texas, but wow, really, really, really good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Good to know. Yeah. Um, James, what are you watching these days, if anything? I just finished, um, so I loved Severance. Oh, yeah. Really, 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 really good. I just watched the third season of I think it's Love, Death, and Robots. It's either Love, Death, and Robots or Love, Sex, and Robots on Netflix, which is they do, I think this season was like eight. They're like short stories. Some of them are animated. Um, some of them are live action, and they're all just like weird sci-fi, sci-fi vignettes 
uh, usually really visually stunning. This season was really, really good. Oh, I mean, RuPaul's Drag Race All-Stars, the all-winner season, obviously. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have to, <laughs> have to supplicate to Mama Ru every time she releases a new mm-hmm. franchise. We of must. Uh, a- a- any favorites? In RuPaul's? Yeah, in this, in this cast. Yeah, any picks? It's really nice. This season is so nice, A, because the judges are being a lot kinder to them, because I think they've recognized, like, well, if this is supposed to be the best of the best that we have to put forward from our huge canon, we probably shouldn't read them to filth every episode. But also just, like, every queen on that season is, like, so competent and, like, has their stuff so together. You're not really getting any of those episodes where it's like, wow, that person might walk out on the runway with, like, nothing to wear. So you you can just, like, relax. It's like Drag Race Lexapro. You just sort of, like, let it wash over you. Everybody's doing such a good job. I will say, though, Jinx Monsoon. And that's not at the expense of any of the other queens, but the way I discovered Drag Race is one day YouTube was, like, do you want to watch this 15-minute supercut of all of Jinx Monsoon's best moments from season five? And I was like, season five of what? Who is Jinx Monsoon? And then I watched, then I became obsessed with those videos, even though it was basically the same clips over and over again in different Mm -hmm. orders. I watched all of them. And then finally, I was like, well, I should watch them in the context of the show. So I watched the fifth season, and then I was hooked. And I've basically just been waiting for her to come back. I was like, when are they going to bring back Jinx? And it's been yeah. so gratifying to watch her come back on the show. And like, Oh yeah. I, I, I mean, the, I, I, I just lie in bed at night and think about that Judy Garland snatch game. I cried. I was like laughing so, so hard. And then I was like, even though she was obviously taking the piss out of Judy Garland, it's like, the impersonation was so good that you were like, obviously Jinx, adores Judy Garland and spent like months getting ready to do this. And it was, yeah, I I would say definitively maybe the best Snatch Game ever. Ever, ever. This is the first time I've ever been like, not only do I love the Snatch Game character, like this this must be its own show. Like Jinx needs to just start touring just a Judy Garland show alone. Ready for spinoff. Yeah. Yeah. And honestly, the Natasha Leon could make Yes. Appearances. I feel like they they didn't give us as much Natasha Leone because they knew they were about to one-two punch with the Judy Garland, but the Natasha Leone was also very, very good. Also solid. Surprisingly so. Yeah. Yeah. If you're, you know, if you're up against a very polished Judy Garland and you have brought, you know, an Instagram ceramics influencer or something or whatever some of the other people had prepared. You've got to just be like, hold on now, hold on. Yeah, wait a minute. I need, I need Let to just go sit back this one out. to school. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Gonna call a sick day. People are always like, "Who would you do for Snatch Game?" And I, I have no idea. So I, I really, I don't envy them, and I try to empathize with them when it goes like really, really badly, which you know it has historically yeah. but sure sure much more often than not so i mean do any names pop out when you when you think and for me as a snatch game character yeah i yeah. you know the the canon of snatch game characters i don't know the like the spectrum of who you can do for snatch game has really expanded i like loved when gg good did the robot 
I was like, that's such yeah. a, I mean, and it was kind of a cheat because it was like, that robot doesn't have a personality. You're just like yeah. doing a GG bit as this robot, but it's hysterical. I, you know, I thought I didn't, I didn't love Trinity's devil, but I thought the idea of doing the devil was really fun and interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did love her, uh, Leslie Jordan. So there's that. Oh, yeah. Sure. Um, sure. <laughs> yeah. So I think I would probably just because I don't feel like I'm a super good impressionist would pick something like, like a non-impression, like a, a full original character, like mm-hmm. the boogeyman. Yeah. Which, uh, it was an interesting choice and was like very clever fun it did again against that judy garland it's like what were any of them going to do but that was a fun moment from evie and uh, was hot objectively i was like yeah surprisingly so yeah yeah, yeah. hot boogeyman yeah um yeah this is you know i i did think there was some secret genius in uh, trinity's satan because you know all of her punchlines were pretty basic and you have to imagine mm-hmm. that the devil would be pretty basic you know what I mean? Yeah. Would just be like, come through and think they were really funny. And for I that. did, the look was like exquisite. It was giving very, um, the devil in, in the South Park universe. It was, it, yeah, it yeah, was yeah. fun. And I liked, I did like the pinky, the pink fluffy pen as like a, mm-hmm. a devil accessory. And in a normal season, that would have been, Trinity would have won. That would have been the one that all the judges were like, that's how you do snatching, you know? And the fact that that was not the headliner, Speaks volumes. Yeah. Jinx Monsoon. Gotta get her on. Gotta get her on. Oh my um, God. Yeah. I, I I wish that for you too, because wow. She she also just, that's what I love about her. In her interviews and all of the like extra world of wonder content that she does, she's, it's like whip smart every time. She like, every little joke is like so, it's just natural, I guess. I don't know where she yeah. went all that, but she's so good at it. She's amazing. What was little James Scully obsessed with as a kid? What were your like pop culture touchstones? Broadway. Mm-hmm. The only little okay. gay kid I think who really liked listening to musicals. Shocking. Yeah. What what are your what are your top musicals? It was a lot of Andrew Lloyd Webber growing up. I don't know. I obviously then I went to school for musical theater, so um, the the portfolio diversified itself. But mm-hmm. yeah, growing up, it was like a lot of Phantom of the Opera, Les Mis, um, sure. yeah, The Sound of Music, My Fair Lady. All, you know, not not necessarily queer stories, but like pretty gay anyways, incidentally. Yeah, gay enough. Gay enough, <laughs> gay enough to speak to, you know, eight-year-old me. I I mean, then on the other end of the spectrum, Dragon Ball Z. Oh. Because it was a cartoon oh. that I could watch that I was like, yeah, this is a boy's cartoon uh, for right. boys who like action. Also, most of the time, those guys were shirtless, and they had insane rippling muscles. So I think it was, like, working on, like, multiple levels for me. And then they would occasionally turn into, like, giant monkeys and wrestle each other. I'm I'm totally aging myself, but what is Dragon Ball Z? Dave, do you know? Uh, I feel like it's... Okay, let's see if I... uh, How right am I? It's, like, Pokemon, but later? But more anime? 
That's amazing. <laughs> I'm serious with you, and this interview is over. No, could you imagine? Well, um, no, it's it is anime, and I'll say this: anime huge for me growing up because uh, a lot of like. And I don't know if they experienced it that way in Japan where they're writing those mangas and animating those cartoons, but a lot of behavior and like colors and like costumes and aesthetics that feel kind of inherently queer, um, yeah. especially the villains, as it so often was the case in the 90s and 2000s, very campy and like androgynous, um, Sailor Moon another anime that was so dragon ball z is they're like all it's like i don't even know what to parallel it to they're just all aliens with superpowers basically um but it's a lot of like long fights between like big muscly dudes just like flying around and punching each other and like shooting balls of energy out of their hands um and it was I don't know, at the time, it was the perfect intersection of what I felt I was expected to be watching and what I wanted to be watching. And then Sailor Moon was like the indulgence, right? On Saturday mornings, I would just be like, sorry, mom and dad, this is just what's on. Like, I don't control the programming. I don't want to be watching this show about these, like, really fierce schoolgirls that, you know, have magic powers and change outfits with the wave of a wand. But that's just what... WB Kids is giving me like yeah. I, um, that was definitely like a, because as I said in an earlier interview like you know and maybe you guys identify with this maybe you don't but like in school at that time it was all like why do you act so much like a girl like why are you so girly um, and so any television show that sort of like elevated girls or women to be the heroes or the protagonist i was like yeah like that yeah. i'm not like a girl yeah. i like sailor moon thank you very much yeah. actually sailor jupiter would be my my chosen sailor scout but um uh-huh. yeah so so anime and and broadway was really <laughs> guided me hand in hand to uh to the promised land quite frankly what was uh what was school like in texas Hit or miss. Um, it was really good through like the fourth grade. And then fifth grade is when people started to be like, you talk with your hands a lot mm-hmm. and you're very sensitive. Um, and then fifth grade to eighth grade is just kind of like, a... <laughs> people talk to me about that period in my life. And I'm like, I don't recall. Hmm. That doesn't sound like a time that I was alive or uh, retaining memories. Um, Yeah, middle school was definitely not it for me. And then in high school, um, I went to a performing arts high school. And that was when I was sort of like, okay, maybe things, maybe it's not going to be uh, constant sorrow all of the time. You know, it wasn't like, what was bad about school is that the bullying would sometimes get so bad that adults felt like they needed to get involved but then like the adults were homophobic too so it was like what are we doing like the (laughs) it's just like it's like wolves telling other wolves how to be nice to sheep it just like wasn't um wasn't effective and just like I feel like at the time and looking back, I was very much like, I'm not having sex or dating anyone. Why are we all 
talking about this so much? Right. Why is this such an, a common topic of conversation at a place where I'm just supposed to be coming to, to be educated? Um, yeah. And I think that's what was always most hurtful. When I got it from other kids, it was disappointing. But I was like, you are going through puberty. There's like no justification for the way you act most of the time. But when teachers would kind of drop the ball in terms of like correcting that behavior or like there was a lot of like, you know, if you got a girlfriend, people would probably Whoa. stop talking to you about this. And it's like, yeah, great. It's definitely one of very few kinds of bullying that that the adults will be like, well, they do have a kind of a point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Which I, is I remember brutal. being told, right? Um, <laughs> yes, yeah. I yeah. remember being told, like, uh, you know, maybe you should just when you're alone in your room practice more masculine hand gestures and ways of speaking. And I was like, oh, 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 okay, I, I guess I'll, I'll try that. I'll rehearse. Yeah, um, for life. Very helpful. Jesus. So I, I want to talk about your career, which means we should start with Heather's and. I'm so excited to hear it because I, so I, I was a, a staff writer on on the show and I haven't really talked about this on the podcast. And I finally have someone who, you know, went on a, their own version of that emotional roller coaster. So I, just to sort of give people the lay of the land, we, you know, we go into this like, you know, very bu- buzzy project that was it was like kind of high profile, but it was also like shrouded in secrecy because everyone assumed it was going to be big. And then you are cast as JD, which is one of the leads, the, you know, Christian Slater role in the movie. So what are you up to at that point in your life? Like what, what does life look like at the time that you auditioned? I was a cycling instructor in New York. Um, right. Yeah. I was. I still am in my heart a cycling instructor. Um, Is it Soul Cycle? Can you say? It was this company called Swerve, which is uh, Uh now they're partnered with Crunch. I don't know what's really happening, but at the time they had three um, brick and mortar locations. And I had started working at the front desk, and then they were like, You're, you talk a lot. Do you want to be an instructor? And I was like, Yes. And so I was just, like, teaching cycling. I was just, like, teaching, like, 14 cycling classes a week. Um, Wow. Yeah. I had, like, just come on. This is really random. I had just come off a series of Outback Steakhouse commercials that I did. Yep. This all tracks. This all, this is... I was, I had just done that. And that was the first time I saw myself on camera. And even though I'd majored in musical theater, a lot of the people that I met with uh, first, like, working in the city, like, representation and industry-wise were, like no, you should work on camera. And I was like, I don't <laughs> I'm just trying to be a chorus boy. I'm just trying to be a movie star. And then I saw myself in the, um, in the Outback Steakhouse commercials, and I was like, a ridiculous context in which to perceive yourself as a performer. Right, but I was right. like, oh, maybe, I guess. And then, yeah, sort of from zero to 60, I booked Heather's, which felt surreal at the time and still feels surreal talking about it now, honestly, that I yeah. played that character um, because it was one of my favorite stories. I loved the movie. I loved the musical. The musical had been really big in the like cult musical theater community in New York. And it was like a role that for some reason coming out of college and like going through showcase, a lot of people were like, like we could see you 
uh, at the time when I was going out for musicals, they were like, well, we could see you as like a JD and like Heather's the musical. And I was like, word, can't sing that at all. Way too high. But yes, okay, heard 100%. So then to like actually play that role in television series felt right. Felt like it would make sense. Um, the experience, different than I think any of us expected. But yeah, that's where I was in my life when that happened. The experience, yeah, because, it, I mean, creatively, the show was excellent. Like, I stand by everything. I mean, the cast and and, and the writing and, you know, the showrunner, Jason Califf, is a complete monster and egomaniac. And I, and I can say that because he's my friend and doesn't listen to the show. So I, I don't want to compliment him any more than I have to, but he did an incredible job. God, if I ever saw that. He's a demon. Street. No. Hi, Jason. And that's what was so, I think, hard about that experience coming away from it is I did, especially as like a young queer actor, I feel like genetically I understood what Jason and what many of you, because it was like a very queer set, um, yeah. were trying to accomplish. And then for it to go the way that it did, I think really like <laughs> broke my like artistic instincts for a while because I was mm -hmm. like croquet mallet samurai fight. I don't understand what's not to like. Like I right, we're giving you everything. Yeah, and I always explain it to be. I mean, I, I, I my shorthand is always like, oh, it was you know um, canceled and uncanceled, and then canceled again, and then uncanceled and canceled one more time before. We finally moved on. People always and think I, I'm I mean, joking when I say that. And I'm like, no, that's beat for beat what happened. Because very tragically, uh, the planned original planned release date um, coincided. Uh, sadly, I don't even remember which mass shooting it was. It was Parkland. And it was rescheduled as if we lived in a time where that was a you know, singular experience. And if we just wait a few months, nothing like that will happen again. Yeah. I mean, when they finally released it, it was only supposed to take a week to show all nine episodes. And in the middle of that week, there was another mass shooting. So that was really, I walked away from that experience at the time being like, we did something bad. I did something bad. We should be ashamed of ourselves. And then like looking back now, obviously hindsight is twenty twenty. And especially when you look at the reviews of the show from any country that wasn't America, it's like, huh. Actually, I don't think the reboot of Heathers was the problem that society was like painting it out to be. I think the, the issue is still the and you know they like didn't air ever the 10th episode where we sort of finally get to for jd anyway the thesis of like gun violence is america in america is a problem and like nobody wants to admit to that and yeah like it's going to be our undoing which yeah uh, it continues to be um it was it was just an incredible bummer and i do feel like there's like a sliding glass the sliding sliding doors version of the world where like the show got to come out and people got to experience it. And it, we did get to go on and do more seasons and all that stuff. Um, and sometimes I'd rather live in that world. Um, but anyway, wh while this is all happening it for, it's like early years of the Trump administration, which is pretty recent, but I, I don't know in, in my memory, uh, even though it wasn't long ago, like even then it was a different time for out queer actors to play 
straight and you are playing like the straight heart throb in what we assume is going to be like a big high profile show. So how, how are you like thinking about navigating all that stuff at the time? It didn't go well and it wasn't good and it wasn't good for me as a person and it wasn't good for JD as a character. If I can be like really frank, I think they hired me based on a series of auditions that they watched me do. And I think I did really well in those auditions and that's why they hired me. And then when it came to, to like working together for seven months, Especially, and I've talked to Brendan about this, so I don't, you know, I'm Brendan, truly, the, the great crime of that show and the way it was treated was that, like, Brendan, Melanie, and Jasmine's performances went, like, underappreciated to what, to the, yeah. to the response that they should have received. But being on set in such close proximity to Brendan, who everyone was obsessed with how queer oh. Brendan was and wanted to put Brendan in all of the most beautiful looks and, and uplift this person Brendan had always wanted to be. And then with me, I really, people did not like that I was gay and they didn't like when I was visibly gay for sure. Um, because it was like, you're supposed to be our leading man. And so then when it came to being on camera, a lot of the embellishments of JD that I wanted to explore, because I feel like he's this kind of like, even as the like straight leading man in that story, he's kind of like campy and weird and like, um, but that's how this know, character would like, behave even regardless of the sexuality actor who played him. But then like, there's almost an androgyny to him. Um, in that like sex, even as an adolescent boy, sex is just like not at the top of his agenda and then, but then I was like terrified of coming across as gay on camera all the time. That's what I spent most of that project thinking about was, do I look good? And am I coming across as gay? Which was like, obviously in retrospect, not the best yeah. frame of reference to be coming at that part from. And so, yeah, it's like, I feel like I sometimes landed in a, like a middle ground of not doing anything. I was like, he'll just be very stoic and affectless. That makes sense for an adolescent psychopath, right? Because I was so concerned about all of the reviews being like, which nobody did, although I did feel like some of them, the subtext between the lines was like, you can tell that this this young man is a hom homosexual and so it doesn't work for the narrative. Um, but yeah, it was just like, it was weird. And it was not, it, it was like a, a huge dream come true. And I was so excited, but then it was, you know, again, on set, it was, it was like hard that it was like the parts of me that I think could be really useful to this, like the gregarity and the eloquence and the, like the charm. I just like, didn't know how to channel those at the time and I was so it was like so much so fast also because I'd never worked in television before and it was like and now you're the lead in a series and so I yeah I that is an experience that I'm like I wish I could go back I do wish I could go back and do that all again because I could have just had way more fun with it and I could have found I don't know, something different instead of being mired in like, and then it's like, you know, the, uh, 
in the response that eventually came, any concern I had about my sexuality sort of got lost in the shuffle of like, oh God, we were trying to make a cultural satire and we accidentally, because of the Trump administration and like American gun culture, we accidentally basically made like a forecast of what the next yeah. two years of American culture is going to look like. The fact that that uh, giving guns to teachers as a solution is something that is um, even in the conversation in a non-satirical way is, I mean, there, we, there, that is an episode of, literally an episode of the show as a joke. When we were filming that episode, Trump was on the air saying we should arm every teacher. It was no yep. longer the line. It was, you know. You're right, and that was written be- as, as pure satire because it's like, well, this is something that's absurd and obviously no one would ever could never happen in the real world. Yeah. Um, so then after all this, you know, perfect shitstorm um, and we, it, we it, you know, we wrote a season two at one point. Obviously, obviously that never got made, but um, that would have been amazing too. But uh, so your next kind of big thing is season two of, of the show you, which you are so great in. And obviously people did see a lot of people see. And I, I wonder if like, if it felt almost like karmically, you were then sort of getting what you were denied from Heather's experience. A little bit, because that was the other interesting thing about Heather's, uh, that I think we all suffered through is, you know, of course, everyone thought the show was going to be a huge critical success. So there were a lot of promises made to us as like freshman actors um, that then it was like, <laughs> didn't turn out that way, um, which is fine. And I think was a really good lesson for me to learn off early on that like you should have no expectations in this business. Although now every single project I do, I'm like, it's going to be a disaster. The whole country's going to it's gonna get canceled and brought back and canceled again and that hasn't happened since i i think that that was fortunately singular um with you yeah it was sort of like in a variety of ways especially since 40 like kind of accidentally became queer coded and there was like a fun Mm -hmm. and they really wrote for that as we got later into the season they were like more lines where you proposition pen badgley for sex we love it (laughs) kiss boys on camera it was like yeah it was like i found this this like very unexpected comfortable home for myself where i was able to explore all of the kind of like, hey, that I wanted to bring to JD, really. Yeah, that creative process was super. They also, something I don't want to leave out was before that, there was straight up um, James Sweeney's like critically acclaimed uh, indie love story that I think really put me back on a track heading into you season two of being like, acting is fun, acting is good. There's like worth in this industry. Sometimes you can tell stories that are beautiful and important to you and it can like go really well. So coming off of that, and especially coming off of that project that let me just like be a gay, as gay as I wanted to be on camera. And that was the whole point. Going into you season two, I was like, okay, we've like reacclimated, we've like hit a ground level. And I just felt more empowered to make big, strong choices without being worried that I was going to be punished for it. And it, it, it paid off. And it was nice to feel like the deeper into the process we got, the more the creatives trusted me and the more they wrote to my strengths. 
And it was, yeah, it was very affirming. Not even all the publicity, like, on not to be ungrateful to the fans and and the work um that people did to promote that show but all of that to the side as like a as an artist um as a craftsperson it was super affirming as as a project and it was nice to be like oh i i can act that thing that i was mm-hmm. educated in for eight years i'm actually pretty good at and now now we get to fire island the gayest movie of them all <laughs> the crown uh, jewel baby the crown jewel what was the set like really fun Re- oscillated violently between being really fun and then being really tense because we were all like oh god who are we to be telling this story are we telling this story right are people gonna like this is our target audience gonna be you know gay people we're queer people in general we're very specific especially about art that we feel is like being sold specifically to us because i think we've been starved for it for so long that when somebody finally does bring something to us we're like it needs to be good entertaining and uh, so we were all very aware of that on set and so i think we would be we would be just like having fun and and laughing and kikiing and then there would be sort of moments of like oh wait we have to like you know especially once we got on the island and the um, delineation between reality and the story we were telling in the movie got kind of, you know, a little blurry in the in the muggy heat of the pines. Um, oh, do tell. Because you, you, in the downtime, everybody is hanging out on the island and partying. Sometimes, but then there were also days where we all got back to the house and we're like, you know what? I just spent a whole day, like, fictionalizing gay relationships now i'm just gonna sit in my room quietly and like hold a pillow and stare at the wall because uh, just like with heathers i feel like when i got jd i was like almost catatonic for like two months because i just sort of couldn't believe what was happening to me and i think we had people had similar experiences on fire island where we just could not believe our own good fortune and you, you would like disassociate and step out of it um, and sometimes you felt like you had to do that to be able to do the job because we were all so close to the subject matter. And then uh, you would sort of like resurface, look around and be like, oh, my God, I'm on a historically gay island, like telling this very gay story with all of these like super high functioning, like iconic queer performers. Um, and those moments could be kind of overwhelming. But on the whole, very, 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 very fun. Yeah. And like all of these, all of these cast members, a lot of times in press junkets, we know it's people who cannot fucking stand each other pretending to be (laughs) best duties. But really with this cast, it's like, I love all of them so much and they're all so talented and so capable. And I know that like when I'm 75, I'll look back and be like, wow, what a privilege and honor it was to work with that group of people. Icons top to bottom. So tell me, uh, everything about uh, Robin Bird. So I didn't get the immersive Robin Bird experience that everybody else did because, you know, I'm oh. standing, Matt, you don't know this. But I, but I will. I sure will. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm standing away from the boat. So when she had her star moment, I was oh. sort of like, oh, what's happening back there over my shoulder? And they were great about, she was in and she was out. Like they did her shot as its own separate thing because they were like, we can't be taking up too much of Miss Bird's time. Like she has things yeah. she needs to get to, but she—I yeah. mean, she was a one-take wonder. 
she did it one time and they were like, honestly, that line delivery was perfect, but we're going to get it like eight more times just for the, mm-hmm. for the B-roll of this film. Um, she was great. And it was just so nice that, I mean, that's sort of like, I feel like that symbolizes what the movie was about, which is that like, she's somebody who's like in the community. She like has a house where she stays on the island. You like only really know, if you like know and appreciate who Robin Bird is, there's like a very big chance that you're queer. Like there was like an authenticity um, to that, that was like really fun. And she was just so game, you know what I mean? She understood the assignment and she was, as far as I know, very sweet and gracious to everyone on set, so. It's a satisfying cameo, that's all I can tell you. Yeah, right, and for for the, you know, for those in the know, right? It's like, oh my, yeah. Uh, so we recently interviewed Julio Torres and he mentioned that you two know each other I wasn't aware of. Um, uh, oh. Let's hear from your perspective how that how that meet cute went down. Um, it went down on Instagram, um, okay. where all great love stories begin. Actually, uh, no, it did. It. I had followed him for a long time because I just watched Los of Spookies before the pandemic and. I was just like, wow, I sort of wish that like this was my approach. You know what I mean? Julio is not sitting around waiting to be cast as a straight guy in anybody's project. He's like, I know my lane and I'm going to create it for myself. And I was, that was really attractive to me just as an audience member. Los Spookies was so singular and unlike anything else I had seen. So I was following him for a long time. And then he actually posted a photo from Fire Island uh, in his little swim trunks and a bucket hat. And I was, look, I'm going to be honest. I was like, hello, (laughs) you're funny. And now this is happening. It's too much. So I slid into the comments and I think made kind of a coy, subtle intimation about his very nice arms. And then we, I think what really started the interaction was I, uh, I like posted an Insta story of a family of deer and he responded to it. And now we've been dating for almost two years. You know what I mean? Sometimes it's that simple. And he, um, yeah, I don't know. I could talk about him for like the next 60 minutes, but, uh, he, I don't know. That's how, that's how it began was a, was a, was an Insta story of deer. Um, and then he really quickly was like, sometimes those, you know, those flings start and, and stop and ebb and flow. But he was very, uh, probably because he was starved for company, he was alone in his Brooklyn apartment through most of the pandemic. He was very like, let's FaceTime. Like our first conversation, he was like, should we just FaceTime? And I was like, wow, a man who's ready to commit. Okay. Uh, and then we did. And then we just had like long FaceTime conversations. And he's just, you know, you interviewed him. He's one of the most fascinating people to talk to. And being like a, a super, super neurotic, anxious, um, narcissistic, but like not in a fun way, actor working in this industry, he's like the perfect person to date because he just does not care. You know? Yeah. 
He's like, I want to get home and work on my scripts. I do not care about whatever this silly event I've been forced to go to is. Every time we go somewhere, I'm in a dark spiral about what I'm going to wear. And Julio's just like, I don't know, some pants, a shirt, probably. <laughs> it's He's just a very like grounding presence in my life, and I'm so thankful for him. And what did... What was dating like before he came along? Were you in serious relationships or what what was going on? <laughs> no, I wasn't actually. All of my relationships until Julio had been like three to four months long. Um, I, I don't know. I've, I've always been kind of a floozy, but then it's like difficult for me or it had been typical for me to, to like... It had just never felt right. I, I would like try and then I would get to the point where I was like, okay, I think this is the point in the relationship where I would be feeling like I'm really seeing legs on this. And I never got there with the people that I dated uh, before Julio. Um, it. I also think I was like something that I've unpacked since I've been in this relationship is I was also still carrying around just like a lot of internalized homophobia. Like, a lot. Mm. Like, I was in my late 20s when we started dating. But still, in, like, dating him and uh, getting into therapy, which I also did, which is probably why the relationships lasted as long as it has, it was like, whoa, yeah, I'm not, I'm not the evolved mm, person that I thought that I was, and I need to be working harder on that. Um, and so when I look back at my dating life before Julio makes me sad because I'm like, I actually think some of those relationships could have worked really beautifully and could have been better for both me and the person involved. But I like wasn't prepared in ways that I didn't even realize I wasn't prepared. Right. I was like, I didn't even know what the list of necessary equipment was. And I certainly didn't have any of it. Um, but it was good. You know, I am somebody who always tries to like, reconcile with exes it's like there's not enough gay people in the world for us to be walking around with an axe yeah when there's uh so my sister's also queer her and her wife are both gay and they talk about this a lot being from kind of a very concentrated lesbian community in san antonio texas that they're like we can't afford to have that kind of animosity because it splinters the community and so i i do now i think I still talk to any every guy I've ever dated. And I think there's a mutual acknowledgement of like, yeah, we were kids and we were kids battling like these demons instilled to us by other people. Um, and it, it makes a lot of sense that we didn't end up like getting married or whatever the fuck we were supposed to do. Yeah. So I think dating before Julio was kind of an education um, that prepared me for dating Julio. Yeah. Who, for the first couple of months, I just lied to him about that. I was like, oh, no, yeah, I've been in loads of serious relationships before. I totally know what I'm doing and how to commit to another person successfully. I've done it dozens of times. M more years. I've been in relationships for more years than I've been alive. Fortunately, he bought that. And it wasn't until like a year and a half that I was like, no, you're, you're far and away my first very oh. serious boyfriend. Do you guys live together? We don't. And you yeah. know, it's that's a funny thing because at the beginning of the relationship, I was like, yes, every second must be spent together. And every second we're not spending together is the reflective of the fact that he doesn't really love me and we just have to be together all of the time. And then, you know, a year and a half into the relationship, I was like, 
actually, I kind of like having my own apartment and I like having a space to go back to where I can just like be alone and, and, and manage my anxiety in a way that feels familiar to me and like have my crystals and all of my stuff around me. Um, and it's, it was nice to, again, because so many of my previous relationships sort of like peaked and then fumbled in that kind of early and fatuous honeymoon period. It was nice to realize with Julio that it's like, no, you can, the longer you're dating kind of relax into a place that's like much lower stakes where like every interaction, every date doesn't have to be like make or break. And you don't have to spend a thousand percent of your time with each other for the relationship to be valid. So we don't live together and I can't, you know, unless it's in a huge country manner where we can go to opposite ends of the house and have alone time. I, I don't know what that arrangement would look like. Matt, do you want to give me any advice on that since you're... Um, I mean, I, I'm not the one to ask. You know, we, we, now that we're married, we live together, but not a moment before. Uh, no, we, we were, no, I'm kidding. We, were, we, were, we lived together for seven years. We've been together for eight and a half at this point or something. So it was, uh, we, it is, we, were, we, were this, we were married in every other way already. Congratulations. Um, That's so incredible. You. Wow. And that's also, that's an informed decision. You lived with someone for seven yeah. years. You yeah. Were sure. We were finally like, all right, let's, let's give the people a party, you know? Um, but yeah, beyond that, we were already, we were, we were all the way there. And, and Dave has yeah. what, 14 years under your belt. 17. Yeah. So, you guys yeah. are superheroes and you live with your partner. Uh, I'm assuming. Dave? Yes. Yes. Yeah. But it was years uh, before we moved in together. It was, God, what was it? It was coming up on like five, six years before we moved in. Do you guys have any tips just for whenever Julio and I are sharing like a space palace? It's, yeah, own your own spaces is critical. Also, we both work from home, so we got to have like... Then you really got to own your own spaces. Yeah, got to really really own own space. Yeah. Yeah. And I would say, and this is trickier in New York, but two bathrooms helps. Yeah, we don't know that. That for me is... Yeah. Yeah. That. And uh, a date time, like, a, you know, we'll meet in the kitchen at 7 p.m. for, you know, a cocktail and some cheese, you know, just like this work ends, fun time must begin, you know, download time must begin. It is hard not to like, it's not taking them for granted, but yeah, you become so accustomed that it's like, yeah. you're not, you're, you're not giving again, the, the time together, that like natural reverence that it used to have. Cause you're mm-hmm. like, Oh, well, I'm going to probably see them every day this week. Exactly. And yeah, already Julio and I have been like, we need to prioritize like very intentional time together. That's different from just sort of incidentally sharing the same space. Huh? Yeah. Okay. So my own bathroom. Yeah. And a, 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 a date appointment, a date appointment. When we were kids, my mom had a study and one day she put a sign on the study door that said, a room of one's own in a bunch of different fonts and told us we weren't allowed to go in there anymore. And at the time I was like, what is Melissa? What is going on? Are you okay? And in retrospect, I'm now like, yeah, a hundred percent. You need a room of one's own. I I wish that the study had been bigger. I wish you'd had a whole wing of a house in there for yourself, but yeah, definitely having your own space. I feel that. So important. So important. Before we let you go, James Scully, uh, the most important question possibly of this entire hour, what is a what is a staple of a James Scully spin class playlist? I really liked to be, my favorite thing to do was to play a song and people 
come up after class and would be like, I totally forgot that song existed. I love that song. And that was so good to cycle to. So I would play like a lot of early 2000s pop punk because that was a genre that I don't think people saw coming. So like Lifestyles of the Rich and the Famous, great warm-up song for a cycle. That is unexpected. Mm. Also Move Along by the All-American sure. Rejects is choice. For sure. Yeah, I loved like an unexpected throwback moment. And I loved like a mashup, like a, Ooh. just like a, oh, you thought it was work, bitch? No, it's work, bitch, and bitch better have my money at the same time. You're welcome, 5 a.m. <laughs> there we go. There we go. And are you able to, to, you know, just take a cycling class as a, as a, as a pedestrian, as a civilian? I do, and I'm horrible about them because now I have such a low i like if the if the instructor is not on it crushing every single track i'm like there's no excuse for this kind of behavior this is just sloppy instructing any 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 fitness class i take if the queuing's off like i'll take barry's classes and i'll get angry on the treadmill because i'm like it's not you're not being motivating enough and also you didn't cue the sprint correctly so i'm a nightmare to have in class but yeah i do go all the time and honestly if anybody ever gave me the chance to be a cycling instructor again, I would take it like that. I'm sure it could be arranged, but I think it's okay to, you know. Yeah, yeah not just that. Like, Renaissance situation, cycling instructor. Yeah, a guest drop-in. Por que no toro? Yeah, drop-in situation. James Scully, uh, Fire Island is, at the time this comes out, it's already out on Hulu. So everybody yeah. go get at it. Um, truly so good. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. Homophilia is a World of Wonder production, produced and edited by Kate Moldenhauer. Special thanks to Randy Barbato, Fenton Bailey, Stephen Sims, Edward Bochniak, and the whole team at World of Wonder. We love you. And theme music by my Ben Wise. Yes, uh, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at HomophiliaPod. You can give us a five-star review uh, on Apple Podcasts. Mm. Thank you for listening. We love you. We love you.